You are listening to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring you the best tactics, strategies, and actionable insights for change through our powerful interviews with change management practitioners and leaders. And now here's your host, Brian Gorman. Welcome to this edition of the Change Management Review podcast. I'm Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review. And my guest today is Hamza Khan. Hello. Welcome, Hamza. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Brian. Hamza is the best-selling author of Leadership Reinvented, How to Foster Empathy, Servitude, Diversity, and Innovation in the Workplace. He's a global keynote speaker whose 2015 TEDx talk, Stop Managing, Start Leading, has been viewed nearly 2 million times. Hamza is a top-ranked university educator and respected thought leader whose insights have been featured by notable media outlets such as Vice, Business Insider, and the Global and Mail. Hamza is trusted by the world's preeminent organizations to enhance human potential and optimize performance. His his clients include the likes of Microsoft, PepsiCo, LinkedIn, Deloitte, Salesforce, TikTok, and over 100 colleges and universities. As the co-founder of SkillsCamp, a leading soft skills training company, Hamza is on a mission to empower organizations to thrive in the future of work. It is an honor to have you here, Hamza. Brian, my pleasure. And and, and what an introduction. I... uh... I, I worry that it's all downhill from here. I don't know if I can live up to that. Wow. I'm not <laughs> concerned about that at all. <laughs> Thank you. In your TEDx talk, you described as a management paradox, quote, growing organizations require management and people don't like to be managed. How did that paradox surface for you? Ooh, I love it. We're going right to the heart of the, the talk that you referenced in the introduction. I was very fortunate throughout my career to get some very vivid experiences that illustrated to me the difference between leadership and management. And I've learned through these experiences that I'm at my best when I'm led and I'm at my worst when I'm managed. There were three back-to-back experiences in particular that really solidified my understanding of the paradox. One of my very earliest career experiences was actually as a reservist in the Canadian Armed Forces. And Brian, as you can imagine, very top-down, very aggressive, very Taylorist, very Theory X. I was a drill sergeant in the U.S. Air Force, so I don't need to imagine. (laughs) I would have been terrified of you. You would have made my life a living hell. But in fairness, I worked really hard, but it was motivated very much by fear, Brian. And then I went from that experience, completely under the boot of Theory X, to the theory Y, complete opposite approach. And for the listeners who are not familiar with the theory X and theory Y style of management, theory X basically assumes that employees are lazy, they need to be micromanaged, they don't have motivation, et cetera. Theory Y assumes quite the opposite. So I joined this very idyllic, almost utopian work environment at the University of Toronto Scarborough, where I'm empowered, where people are giving me responsibility and trusting me to get things done. And uh, I had that wide spectrum of experiences. And I was able to take both of those insights into my first internship at Sony Music Entertainment. And then I got to see how this pattern would recur over time. 
Then I also have the added challenge, Brian, of being a leader very early in my career, which meant that I had to lead people that were much older than me, much more experienced than I was. And this was terrifying for me because I couldn't really rely on my age. I couldn't rely on my experience or my wisdom to get results. So my go-to line would be to my older staff members. I would say, you're an adult perfectly capable of managing yourself. I'm not going to manage you. I'm just here to manage workflow and priorities. And that seemed to establish a little bit of trust. And then throughout my career, I had a lot of practice and opportunity to test and refine this philosophy that there is a difference between management and leadership and that leaders are not supposed to manage. Uh, the phrase that I love using is you manage things, but you lead people. And that's at the heart of the paradox, Brian. Thank you. Because the ideas you put forth back in 2015 are still considered radical by some leaders today and were even more radical in that context back then. Would you share the beliefs that underlie your messages? Absolutely. It's taken me a while to admit this, but uh, when I delivered that TEDx talk in 2015, the day of, I think later that evening, my boss sent me a very terse email insisting that I come into the office the very next morning. And as you can imagine, I was terrified. I go to the office the very next morning and I'm chewed out essentially, drill sergeant style. And the message from my boss was more or less, you embarrassed me, how dare you advocate these ideas? They're seditious, they're undermining the established order here at the university that I was working at. And um, didn't feel great, I'm not gonna lie. I felt like I made a huge mistake uh, and I was encouraged and that's putting it lightly, I was, I was compelled rather to issue an apology to uh, my boss's counterparts. And I'm glad I didn't apologize and didn't go on that apology tour. The beliefs that underlie my messages are very much rooted in a model of leadership that I believe is coming next. You know, we've seen the evolution of leadership over the course of organizational history. In just recent history, we've seen this transition from transactional leadership to transformational leadership. And Brian, where I believe we're going next is the inverse of the dark triad model of leadership, which is essentially Machiavellianism, psychopathy, and narcissism. This was the uh, approach du jour, if you will, for managing. But what we're moving towards now is the light triad, which is comprised of three points. The first being Kantianism, seeing people as ends unto themselves. The second being humanism. This is valuing the dignity and worth of individuals. And the third being faith in humanity, which is believing in the fundamental goodness of humans. So in other words, it's about putting the needs of people before the needs of anything else. It's about treating people like adults, really embracing that theory why style of management. And I'll take it a step further and say this, that leadership is supposed to be selfless. Um, I can't stress this enough. It's about putting the needs of others before your own. The job of a leader is to create more leaders. And I think that's something that a lot of leaders have forgotten. And unfortunately, they've reverted back to counterproductive practices, namely the theory, uh, sorry, the, the, the dark triad of leadership. You say to bring out the best in your team, you have to bring out the best in yourself. How do you bring out the best of yourself as a leader in this virtual slash hybrid world that we're living in? That's a great question, Brian. I, I would actually love, love to get your answer to this as well, uh, especially from a coach's perspective. What I would encourage leaders to do is go back to fundamentals. Uh, go back to fundamentals. The, the, the same things that work in today's high, virtual and hybrid world are the same things that work in the in-person world, the, th the same things that will be relevant regardless of what technological or other disruptions we see moving forward. 
I wrote about this in my book, Leadership Reinvented. There's four values in particular that I believe are timeless. They're what make us human, what make us effective as humans. They're deep within the human condition, and they're the values of servitude, innovation, diversity, and empathy. And the essence of, of this model is leading from the inside out, not from the top down. In the previous era of management, Top-down was very much the approach. Theory X, authoritarian, avoidant, and aggressive. But what people have been calling for is something more human-centric. And that's very much encapsulated by the light triad model. And the way that you can operationalize that light triad model is through those four values that I just described. Servitude, which increases the capacity of your team to deal with change. Then you have innovation, which enables your team to anticipate change and react accordingly when it happens. Then diversity, which is about enabling the full participation of everyone in the organization. And finally, empathy. This is the uh, hardest of soft skills. I don't even call it a soft skill. It's probably the most technical of skills. It's about developing attunement developing harmony with the inside of the organization and the outside of the organization. All of this is to say the way that you bring out the best in your team by bringing out the best in yourself is by starting from the inside out, model the sort of behavior that you want to be true for your organization. I actually trained in organizational change management back wow. in 1988 with Daryl Connor, who's recognized as one of the founders of the profession. Amazing. And um, one of the lessons I learned back then is you can't transform your organization without transforming yourself. Amen. The change can't happen down there and stick if it doesn't happen with you. And I think, you know, exactly what you're saying, I look at the, the leader through a few different lenses, one being the importance of explicitly setting expectations one being the importance of building and sustaining trust and earning and maintaining trust. And one being very good at asking questions and shutting up and listening to the people wow. that work with you. I love that last bit over there, Brian, especially. Uh, I identify as an introvert. So asking questions, shutting up and listening intently comes very naturally to me. And we're starting to see this emerge as a superpower for many leaders, modern leaders. Uh, one case study that, that comes to mind is Linda Rendell of Clorox, who also identifies with my introverted personality. And she said that the thing that has enabled her to experience wild success, having initiated the uh, Ignite ESG model for Clorox, which then gave uh, her, her the ability to step up and really lead the company through the pandemic and, and all the success Clorox has been having, of course, um, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, all comes back to her ability to listen, listen to everybody who comprises the value chain of Clorox. We're talking about customers, suppliers, staff, investors, so on and so forth. You know, you really can't make a change without diagnosing the problem to begin with. And, and, and I think listening is key to that. And it goes beyond diagnosing the problem. A lot of my change-related coaching at this point is with companies that are moving towards some form of an altered work week. Yes. So under the rubric of a four-day work week, it, it might be shorter five days. It might be literally 32 hours over four days. But a key to that success is asking the people on the front lines, how can I support you to be more effective in doing your job. That's it. Where can I take the waste out of the time that you spend at the office right. or the time you spend at the factory? Yeah. 
the key to getting things done and beating burnout for that matter isn't more hours in the workplace. It's actually less waste to your point and fewer things that induce distraction and persistent stress. And I, I contend that the job of a leader is only becoming harder because there was a time in the previous epoch of work, especially influenced by the remnants of the first and second industrial revolution, where there was a top-down approach, one size fits all, do things the way the leader wants you to do it. But what we're seeing now is a much more tailored approach where the leader is changing their leadership style and adapting it for each individual employee. But the leaders who are willing to do that work up front will experience the upside of being change-friendly and uh, yeah, self-disrupting. So in your TEDx talk back in 2015, you identified yourself as Generation Y. Yeah. Now more broadly known as the millennial generation. You said how and why we work is out of sync with the traditional workplace. We are built for tomorrow's workplace. As we move from the almost total migration of the knowledge worker from the office to work from home with the onset of COVID, how do you see the future of the workplace taking shape? Wow. I believe that the, the changes that are underway will benefit everybody from frontline workers to leaders, to customers. I mean, this is a good thing for everybody. Uh, when people are much more calm and balanced and, and uh, you know, have a, have a deeper understanding of, of the reason why they work and have flexibility with the how they work. So I see a couple of things playing out here. Hybrid work is here to stay. We can't put the genie back in the bottle. I also love that there's going to be a reduction in office centricity and all of the challenges that come with that, especially for people who have mobility issues, people who experience uh, microaggressions and discrimination in the workplace. It will really put the lens back on merit and, and true collaboration and inclusion. I, I also see, because now people are, are starting to work from home and, and experience some of the benefits that I enjoy and perhaps you enjoy as well, Brian, as entrepreneurs, as entrepreneurs, that spirit of creation and making will re-enter the workplace in a big way. I also love that now we'll have to focus on the whole human being uh, and really think intentionally about diversity, about wellness. And let me just say this, this is also a necessary correction. Like this has been a long time coming, this change. Uh, pandemic or not, this, this change was inevitable. Every system, I believe, tilts towards the selfish will of those in power. And what had happened in the previous epoch of work was this dogmatic belief had set in that the office was the only way to get work done. But those leaders who've insisted on returning to the office and haven't treated their employees like adults, who haven't respected the agency of the employees, it's clear that they've been leading from a place of fear. And that their insistence on people returning back into the office is very much rooted in the fear that they're not being productive at home. There's a fundamental distrust of their employees. They need to have the, 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 the assurance, the, the, the optical assurance that they're there in person, tethered to their desks, whatever the case may be, doing the, the work, which I think is very hypocritical considering that they've been effective in the last two and a half years. And in most cases, they've actually been more effective working from home. Companies like Goldman Sachs, on the one hand, they say we've been posting record profits from 2020 onwards, but now here they are saying return to the office or else. And that just feels really slimy to me. You said this was an inevitable change in direction for the future of work. Back, I think it was in 2002, Peter Drucker, who was then in his 90s, mm. said that in the age of the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, people served the system. Yep. In the age of the knowledge worker, the system has to serve the people. 
couldn't agree with that more. It was uh, up until the 1900s, there were children in the workplace as young as six years old. The first employee resource plan, uh, the first employee wellness plan only came out in the 1950s. I mean, the workplace and the world of work has only become more um, respectful of the human being, more, more, more respectful of, of power dynamics uh, over time. And so, so the natural extension of that, the logical conclusion is hybrid work. It is flexibility. It is meeting people where they are. I feel like this is an inevitability in any company that's, or any leader, I should say, that's resisting this change. And it was really disappointing to see Elon Musk even take a side in this and, you know, uh, um, say, say something really irresponsible about remote workers. I thought that uh, that was terrible and he's going to be on the wrong side of history, unfortunately. I find it fascinating. And, and a lot of these conversations focus on white collar workers. True. And True. yet I, I need to give two quick examples of where some of these changes are taking place for blue collar workers as well. I love that. This is very, very needed. In the I'm, discussion. I'm doing work now with a large business in the food industry. They are bringing career counselors into the factories. Wow. And in essence, what they're saying is people don't graduate from high school or trade school and come to work in the factory anymore with plans of retiring from the factory. And so, again, meeting people where they are, just what you were saying. Um, also doing work at the leadership level of a 10,000 plus blue collar division of a major company that's working to change their culture. And in one of the, the early sessions uh, as they were working to define what that culture is and what changes they as leaders have to make in order to bring about that culture change. One of them said, do you really think that there is anyone down on the front lines who's looking up at us and saying, in 20 years, if I work hard enough, I too can be working seven days a week? Huh. Wow. Yes. And, and this is uh, very much in line with some of the macro trends that we're seeing, especially around in trusted institutions whether we're talking about the government or you know just organ organizations that that layer of business as a whole there's very little belief that the institutions that we have will support us on a wider time scale so i'm not surprised to hear that and it's really fascinating to know that you're there embedded as an icf coach doing consulting and doing work with them they need you more than ever thank you i have reached a point where i go as far as saying quite openly i believe we are entering the biggest shift in the future of work since the Industrial Revolution. Yep, I agree wholeheartedly. I think uh, this is a time of great upheaval. We've never seen anything like this in recent history. And we're experiencing just alone a plague, a depression, and a war simultaneously. And that's just scratching the surface. The world of work is fundamentally changing. Like at its core, it's changing. How well is your generation suited to be leaders in the, that change? Ooh. That's a tough one. I don't know how well suited we are as leaders or to be leaders in that change, but from a technology and resourcefulness perspective, I think we're better suited than other generations, mostly because we grew up with the technology. We're digital natives for the most part. However, I think we're also a little arrogant and brash and we're easily dismissive of the wisdom of the tradition that has uh, birthed our generation. And I think that we're very quick to dismiss the virtues of organizational culture, collaboration, relationship building. I think we have an opportunity now to bridge the divide between generations and create a workplace that works for everyone, not just the leaders. I don't have many regrets about the core message of my 
2015 TEDx talk, but if I could do it now and do it differently, the one change I would make is I would take less of an adversarial approach to the older generations. I think that was a, a young man speaking, but I know now at this uh, you know later stage of my life that we need each other. We can't do this alone. Hamza, given that our audience is change leaders and change management practitioners, what are the most important things they should be taking back to their daily responsibilities in supporting and leading successful change? A couple of things. Great question. Get bullish on the soft skills. I mean, anything that can be automated, believe me, will be automated in jobs that you think or uh, you, you thought that weren't uh, uh, touchable by, by technology, including the medical profession, are about to go through a great period of upheaval. I think we have until at most the year 2030, maybe 2045 to figure this out. Because by 2045, most, if not all, futurists agree that the singularity is going to happen. So this device that we're recording the podcast on, I mean, this device right here in my hand, a smartphone, will arguably be more productive than you and I, Brian, and all of the listeners combined. And so that's a world that I think many people aren't preparing for. What will be disproportionately more valuable in that post-disrupted world will be the soft skills, will be the human centricity that we've alluded to throughout this conversation. So I think first and foremost, get bullish on the soft skills. And then for leaders specifically, please move as far away from theory X as you can embrace theory Y, take it a step further, go beyond transformational leadership and look into transcendental leadership. Believe it or not, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is incomplete. There was a step above self-actualization. And unfortunately that model, the hierarchy of needs was co-opted by the management world. And they used it to, to really drive productivity when in fact, Maslow was not looking for that. Maslow was looking for ways to activate and help human beings transcend. So look into transcendental leadership. I know that most of the world isn't ready to receive this yet, but trust me, it is coming hopefully within our lifetime. All of this is to say, move away from an avoidant, aggressive, authoritarian style of leading towards something that's values-driven, change-friendly, self-disrupting, and human-centric. And uh, I appreciate, Brian, the opportunity to talk about my book, Leadership Reinvented, specifically the bright side model within that book, the heart of it, the values of servitude, innovation, diversity, and empathy. They're particularly valuable here. Could you give us a little bit on each of those four? Sure. Yeah. So servitude is about putting the needs of others before your own. And there's some really compelling evidence that this works. So there's this dichotomy of leadership idea that I think is really harmful. It states that the needs of the people come at the expense of the needs of the mission and the needs of the mission come at the expense of the needs of the people. And who this idea was popularized by was Jocko Willink, who is a very famous ex-Navy SEAL who wrote Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership. Seems like a great guy, very smart, clearly very experienced. We're grateful for his service, but I think he's dead wrong with that idea because you look at Glassdoor's top 20 companies over the last 10 years, they've all outperformed the S&P. You look at Fortune's top 100 companies over the last decade, they've all outperformed the S&P. And we're talking about top companies in terms of workplace culture and companies that promote a culture of health, safety, and holistic well-being also outperform the S&P. So what's good for people is good for the mission. And that also creates exceptional shareholder value. So put the needs of others before your own. That's servitude. Innovation is about anticipating change and preparing the organization to react to change before it happens or before it's too late. And one of my favorite examples in recent memory is um, Skunk Works at Lockheed Martin. They had the company, Company A, but they entrusted another company within the company, Skunk Works, to basically disrupt Company A. 
which is a brilliant model that I wish more companies would replicate. It doesn't have to be R&D. Like you can take it a step further and just task somebody within the organization to disrupt the organization. I recently did a talk for PwC's private company leaders, and I was very surprised to meet somebody at PwC whose sole job was to disrupt the company. And I thought, this is, this is it. This is how PwC will guarantee its longevity for the foreseeable future. Then the value of diversity. This is an interesting one because I think people get hung up when we talk about diversity. They get hung up on diversity of uh, race, ethnicity, gender, and sexuality. But when we talk about true diversity, the, the human spectrum is so, so broad. We're talking about diversity of age, diversity of thought, diversity of political orientation, diversity of military experience, geographical location, neurodiversity. So diversity of people tends to positively correlate with diversity of background, perspective, and experiences. And that's actually what we want as leaders. We want people at the table who can help us to anticipate change and then react appropriately when the time comes. And the final value is the value of empathy. This is about standing in somebody else's shoes, seeing with their eyes and feeling with their heart. And at an organizational level, it's about being attuned with changes on the inside of the organization and changes on the outside of the organization. And I think it was uh, Jack Welch of GE who said, if the rate of change on the outside exceeds the rate of change on the inside, then the end is near. And Indra Nui of PepsiCo takes this step further and says, the challenge of a leader, or the challenge of leadership rather, is to see change around the corner before it happens or before it's too late. They appear in the book in a, in a rather jumbled order. It's, I think it's ESID, but the model that, that I've coined is a bright side of leadership, S-I-D-E. But the we were very intentional about, about doing ESID in the book. And for those of you who read it, you'll see why. Hamza, we could talk for hours. I know. Wow. And, I, uh, I can't believe that uh, like a half an hour already just flew by. I felt like we just got started. I, I so appreciate this. So Likewise. thank you. Thank you very much. Likewise, sir. And I, I hope we get a chance to connect again, whether on this podcast, another one of your podcasts, or even on my podcast, there's so much that I want to ask you so much. I need to learn from you, especially uh, given your wealth of experience, not just as a consultant and a professional, but especially as a coach. We, we talked just before we started recording that I'm in the process of becoming an ICF certified coach. So I would love to continue picking your brains, sir. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.